0: while Boston University gets the headlines, the Brain Bank is actually at the VA. And so what's very special about this work is that the VA has actually been critical to the success of the Brain Bank because there was no funding at the beginning and and there was no infrastructure. And if without the VA, it doesn't happen. And then the VA has been very supportive, uh, not only with funding, but also bringing this conversation into the veteran community.
1: Welcome to the Policy Vets Podcast, engaging with leaders, scholars, and strong voices to fill a void in support of policy development for America's veterans. With your hosts, former Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dr. David Shulkin, and former Executive Director of the American Legion, Lou Chelley. Today's guest, Dr. Chris Nowinski, co-founder and CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Mr. Secretary, you ever collect anything, you know, like coins or trading cards? Jay Leno collects cars.
2: Yeah, when I was a kid, Lou, I would collect coins. Now I actually collect challenge coins from government officials and military officers.
1: That's very cool. You know, our next guest collects something a little bit unique. He collects brains.
2: Yeah, you don't hear that one every day. (laughs) But I know a little bit about this. Uh, Chris, our guest collects brains because he's actually on a mission. He wants to get to the bottom of this disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or what some people just say, CTE. And of course, CTE is something that veterans unfortunately know a lot about, particularly those that were returning from Iraq and Afghanistan, where the IED explosions caused a lot of head trauma. Um, And so this is really important work.
1: That's right. And uh, the same thing that football players suffer from. We, We ended up finding out that Aaron Hernandez, a tight end for the New England Patriots, who was convicted of murder, had CTE. And then his family agreed to donate his brain to science after he committed suicide in prison.
2: Yeah, what a tragic story. They say that that's one of the worst cases of CTE they've ever seen in someone that young. I think Hernandez was only 27 years old.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot today from Chris Nowinski. He's actually from my hometown of Boston.
2: And he's partnered with the Boston VA. They have this terrific work under Dr. Anna McKee in a brain bank. And Chris and BU and the VA all work together to try to find advances in this type of head trauma injury.
1: Have you signed up to donate your brain yet?
2: I'm not so sure they'd want mine, Lou. Yeah, me either. Actually, I've kind of grown quite attached to it. Okay, I'm not going to impress you on your brain anymore, so why don't we get started with the interview? Chris, it's good to speak to you today on the Policy Vets podcast.
0: Uh, thanks for having me, Secretary Shulkin.
2: You're a really interesting guy, and you have a great story to tell us today. Oh, and don't you also have a new baby?
0: I do, and hopefully doesn't cry during this. Seven-month-old Charlie.
2: <laughs> well, if so, we understand, no problem at all.
1: Chris, you know, we actually met uh, a couple of years ago, and and I was completely taken by your story then. Since then, I've met a number of your friends who
0: who also helped tell your story. Can you share with us how you got started in brain donations? Uh, yeah, happy to, Lou. It all started, starts from a kick to the head back in 2003. I played a little football at Harvard. I wrestled for the WWE, and I got post-concussion syndrome after an injury that I wasn't honest about and didn't understand. And that led me to the offices of Dr. Robert Cantu, who changed everything I thought I knew about concussions, how they should be treated, and their long-term effects. And I was pretty blown away that I'd been bashing my head for 19 years and really had no idea what I was doing to myself. And I also realized that a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues had been through the same thing. And so I decided I would take a stab at trying to change the sports concussion culture Because I couldn't go back to wrestling. I just never got better. Uh, And along the way, I just got hurt at the right time where CTE, this disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, had first been seen in American football players. And I thought that was really interesting. And so uh, I wrote a book called Head Games Football's Concussion Crisis that came out in 2006, where I not only uh, talked about the concussion issue, but also said the CT thing is really important And I also tried to highlight the fact that I thought the NFL was trying to bury the issue. And of course, nobody read the book because no one reads a book on complex neuroscience policy by a pro wrestler. But uh, I knew that things needed to change. And I thought CTE would be the thing that would allow us to move the concussion conversation forward because concussions are invisible, but CT is something you can see under a microscope. And so when Andre Waters passed away, took his life in two, November 2006, who was a player I grew up watching for the Philadelphia Eagles, I learned uh, slowly how you coordinate a brain donation. I, I, I thought, he, I'd found a quote of him saying he stopped counting his concussions at 15. He would stiff smelling salts and play through it. I called the medical examiner and said, you should study this guy for CTE. And he said, no. But he let me know that if I got somebody else to study it, he might. He, if and the family agreed, he would give me his brain to study, and that was just like this wow moment of oh, I guess I have to do some work here, and talk to his family. His family's wonderful. They wanted the study done. Long story short, it, he had CTE. I, I told the doctor we aren't going to put this in the in the medical journal. We aren't going to wait two years. We're going to tell the world and it became a front page story in the New York Times. And I realized that brain donation was going to be the way that we were going to understand what's happening to athletes long-term. And now we're, you know, 15 years later and a thousand brains later, and it's it's really changed a lot.
2: Chris, your story is uh, a pretty familiar one in that people that have personal experiences with illness or disability often go on and are very motivated to try to find solutions. So... After your injury, is that when you decided to pursue a PhD in behavioral neurosciences?
0: So it was was after I started the Concussion Legacy Foundation in 2007 to give a home to this research. And then we partnered with Boston University in the VA in 2008. And essentially had an office at BU School of Medicine. And I thought, you know, I was just a guy getting brains every day. And then they were like, you know, you're going to do this for a long time. So you might as well get your PhD. So I started going to school Uh, part time while I was working for a PhD in behavioral neuroscience. And uh, I'm very glad I did because, you know, I got lucky (laughs) early on understanding what was going on. But the training is very important to doing this the right way.
1: Well, I mean, hold on a minute. You went to Harvard for your undergrad degree and then became a pro wrestler.
0: Yeah, that isn't isn't that normal? Isn't that what everyone does? Yeah. <laughs> no, I should have known something was wrong with that when when WWE like, liked to introduce me as the first Harvard graduate in the history of WWE. It's like should have set off more alarm bells. But no, that was it was a great it was a fun career. It was a great career. It's a wonderful organization to to work for, and they've actually been incredibly supportive of this specific research. So it's been great.
2: You know, Chris, the reason why we're so happy to have you on the Policy Vets podcast, of course, is because you're work and interest in your continued studies on chronic traumatic encephalopathy is very similar to what we see in veterans who have blast injuries, particularly in the most recent conflicts. And so your work really has so many implications to veterans. Tell us about your interactions with the department of veteran affairs and what you hope you might be able to contribute to veterans.
0: So, Veterans, this issue in veterans was not on my radar screen like it was in sports because I knew sports. And we just got very lucky that when I met Dr. Ann McKee, who directs the Brain Bank, um, it was through a Boston University relationship, but I didn't learn for a little while that she's actually a, a VA lifetime VA employee, and that the brain bank, while Boston University is the gets the headlines, the Brain bank is actually at the VA. And so what's very special about this work is that, The VA has actually been critical to the success of the Brain Bank because there was no funding at the beginning and and there was no infrastructure. And if without the VA, it doesn't happen. And then the VA has been very supportive, uh, not only with funding, but also bringing this conversation into the veteran community. And so, um, you know, your work as secretary, uh, Bob McDonald was very helpful when he was secretary. It's been wonderful to see this work embraced by the military, partially because, when we brought this to the NFL or the NHL, they denied it. They just said this isn't real, and they saw this as a threat, and they did everything they could to bury it. And that has not been our experience with the VA. The VA has welcomed it with open arms. And because the brain bank's at the VA, that's how we got our first military brain donors and started to realize CTE is also an issue in this population. And so we've we've slowly been investing more and more in in understanding this in veterans because we've realized it's there and, you know, we owe it to veterans.
1: So you have over a thousand brains now, and and I can't imagine that all of them have CTE. Why is it important for people to donate their brains, whether they feel
0: like they have an injury or not? That's a very good question so you know we're known for our work on cte and about two-thirds of the brains that are donated to this brain book actually have ct which is an extraordinary percent when you consider we can't yet diagnose this in living people and so families are just guessing but they're guessing right two-thirds of the time for neurodegenerative disease that's incredible what's special about being a va brain bank is that we actually we don't turn away any veterans who donate their brain whether or not uh, they have a history of brain trauma because controls without brain trauma are incredibly important for us so we can compare them to people with brain trauma and as while we're known for the work on you know thousands of hits to the head in, in football we don't know the lower threshold for damage and so it could be one blast injury that may start this cascade or, or, or just traumatic brain injury itself without the neurodegeneration Uh, also causes a lot of problems. So essentially when it comes to veterans, we want all comers so that we can understand the full spectrum of experience because it's such a wide experience with brain trauma. Everyone's experience is different.
2: Yeah, Chris, you know, it just may be that this is much more common than people recognize. And um, it's why your work is so important and has implications, like so much work that happens among veterans has implications for all Americans. I've been to the Brain Bank uh, at Dr. McKee's lab in uh, Boston at the VA, and it's a pretty impressive facility. Uh, And I've met some of the people who have donated their brains. Uh, But tell us about some of the people who've decided to leave their brains to you for uh, this continued type of research.
0: We have over 8,000 people who've signed up to, to what we call pledge their brain. And it is an exciting list uh, on the sports side. So, like, I, I've, I have a TED Talk where I basically <laughs> talk about how the fact that everyone I've met for the last 15 years, I've asked them to give me their brain. And, uh, and a lot of people have said yes. So, so some of the famous athletes that I'm, I've been thrilled to meet are, like, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Or, or Pro Football Hall of Famers, like Mike Haynes and Warren Sapp or Matt Hasselbeck. Um the famous, some of the greatest female athletes of all time, like the women's uh, soccer Hall of Famers, Brandi Chastain, Michelle Akers, hockey Hall of Famer, Angela Ruggiero, a ton of my professional wrestling colleagues, people like Mick Foley and Mark Henry, all these Hall of Famers. So it's an exciting group there. And then now we're having this conversation with veterans. And so, um, you know, it's I, I just meet these incredible people who've served their country who want to contribute to this. You know, I remember the first time when we launched our campaign. Uh, to to recruit more brain donors in the military, it's called Project Enlist, and I met my first Navy SEAL that I got to know personally, uh, Jay Redman, who's just a fantastic human being who just said, "Look, we we're we're never going to figure this out unless we actually, you know, figure out what's happening to the brains under a microscope." And and he's you know he talked about how he's got friends who are suffering. He's had serious traumatic brain injury, and so. It's exciting to see people step forward and now to me the, you know, the the veterans are the celebrities that i care about
1: you know and actually for anybody who's interested i've got the information right here for the 24 7 website and we'll share that later um, you know and all the numbers and, and every uh the uh the web address that you can contact if you're interested in donating your brain
2: so chris let's go back to the actual science when you have an injury to the head, what actually happens to the brain that causes this type of pathologic change that you're calling CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy?
0: It's a great question that we don't have all the answers to. So, what we do know is this does not seem to happen from one injury, right? There's, there's something, because if it happened from one injury, we've all had a concussion in our life. We've all fallen in our head, but CT is extraordinarily rare in the regular population. So it's something about the repetition of of hard hits multiple times in a short period of time. We believe there's some inflammatory process happening that we're beginning to identify that starts to spiral out of control. And it starts as these tiny lesions in very vulnerable parts of the brain to when the brain twists. Essentially, when your brain twists, you know, you, you, your your cortex and the surface of your brain has hills and valleys, and the, at the bottom of those valleys are the place where the energy goes the most and stretches and and tears axons, and it's especially around blood vessels at the depths of this sulcus, it's called the sulcus, and that's where we see that, so basically it's, it's a hard twist of the brain, starts this stretch and inflammatory process, and then the Somehow the addition of more impacts makes that process spiral out of control and these tiny lesions start to spread throughout your brain even after you've stopped getting hit in the head. And as they spread, you start to get symptoms. Uh, It starts with problems with uh, sometimes attention and executive functioning, sometimes mood disorders, what we call neurobehavioral dysregulation, and eventually you get progressive cognitive decline, and And most people, if they live long enough, will develop dementia with this disease. Is there any any way to repair this damage? Right now, we don't know how to repair the damage and that's partially because we don't know how to diagnose it so we can't test therapies there part of the reason we're working so hard is that once we can diagnose this, the world opens up to therapies there are therapies that can we believe will stop this progressive change uh, but the important thing for veterans to know is even if we can't stop the disease yet, we can absolutely treat the symptoms, right? Because the symptoms it causes can be treated by doctors. So if you have any of these symptoms and you're worried about that maybe it's due to too many hits to the head, you know, see a doctor, get treatment, and you will feel better. And and then in hopefully 10 years, we've got a pill that can uh, stop anything else that's still happening.
2: I guess right now the only real way to tell whether you have CTE is to look at it under the microscope, which means cutting into the brain, do you see a time where we're gonna have biomarkers or easier ways to diagnose us?
0: Yeah, there's no question that that time is just around the corner. You know, you've watched it as I have, that how we diagnose Alzheimer's disease has changed dramatically just in the last year. We're starting to talk about blood tests that can pick up the abnormal protein so you don't have to use a, a, a scan, you don't have to cut into the brain you literally can pick up bits of your brain floating in your blood as the, the process continues. So we're basically trying to follow the success of the Alzheimer's world and because it's very much a sister disease to CTE and apply those techniques. And so hopefully we can piggyback off lots of great research and, and we'll have a, a blood test or a spinal fluid or imaging test that will allow us to diagnose CTE in living people. Now, I, I want to go back to something
1: you said early in the podcast. It's really important. You said that you weren't honest about it. And you know that is the warrior ethos. So military members commonly um, will will deny symptoms and just really want to get back in the fight. So you know the work that you're doing will will hopefully lead to therapies, protective equipment. you know at a minimum, it'll it'll bring awareness to the extreme damage and harm that's caused by head trauma can manifest i mean years later it's a sleeping giant
0: yeah yeah there's no question about that and and we are trying to change the culture you know not just in sport but everywhere like you know and this this ethos gets instilled in sports where it's just like if you can walk you can play type of thing and so you know you can imagine you know that's what i did when i when i was concussed is that you know i well, as long as i can see straight at this moment i'm good to go and it's very dangerous, as you can imagine, in, in, in the battlefield, right, to actually be out there with a weapon, you know, in charge of your life and other people's lives while you're impaired. It's a very dangerous thing. And so we're trying to, you know, help change that culture that you're not, a, you're not a hero for fighting through symptoms when you have an opportunity to step out, because you're not at your best. Uh, but, you know, so that, that's part of the warrior ethos. And then that other part of the warrior ethos that continues is that you don't talk about weakness, right? And so if you're retired and you've had you know these hits, you might not feel your best. you might feel yourself changing you might have problems with anxiety or depression or, or memory or impulsivity, whatever it is but you know historically we haven't talked about it. It's just something you just kept to yourself because it's not someone else's problem and, and the message you know that I know you're sharing that we always try to share is no it's okay to talk about it and actually it's really important to talk about because you don't have to suffer alone. We've sort of lifted the veil. Everybody understands now that this stuff is real. It matters. Mental health is important. And so it's okay to get help. It it doesn't mean you're not still the toughest guy in the room, the toughest woman in the room, because you know, if you've served, you usually are.
2: Chris, you know that Policy Vets is a national policy organization. So what do you think government can do to help advance the work? Is there more money needed in head re- in head trauma research? Do we need better regulations and laws for headgear protection? What are the types of things that you'd be looking for to help us find ways for better diagnosis and treatment?
0: Yeah, you know, and I I look forward to working with policy vets to to make this a reality because, you know, my experience has primarily been in the sports world where in the sports world we're saying, hey, we got to change how we play sports. We got to stop hitting in practice. We got to stop letting little kids get hit in the head. Uh, and then we have to do the research. The prevention opportunity isn't the same in the military, right? We can't say let's not go to war anymore. What we can say though is let's train smarter. So, like we've had a lot of conversations with breachers, for example, who haven't, who have been, you know, practicing with a lot of explosions, and also maybe a little closer to the explosions than they need to be. And so, it's sort of, being smarter in our training to recognize that those hits to the head do add up is always important. Um, and then on the long term side you know one of the reasons that we we did start project enlist is because we do need more funding and we need more attention on this issue like we're thrilled that we've had the ability to get to where we are today but what's the support for specifically ct is tiny compared to other related diseases and and at this point i don't know if there's very many programs that are there to help both the patients and their families and caregivers. If you say, I think I have CTE, and we know the problems that you might be having, you know, families are turning to us rather than necessarily the good evidence based resources in the military community, and we need to create those. So we do need to make a bigger commitment to this issue now that we know it's there, and we consider our job at the foundation to try to prove. That it's there, so that people feel confident investing in supporting these families and investing in the research. Yeah,
1: speaking of evidence-based resources, you've got some pretty impactful videos
0: on your website. You want to tell us a
1: little bit about your nonprofit, the Concussion Legacy Foundation?
0: Sure. So this is all—all all this work is done through the Concussion Legacy Foundation, with which I started with the doctor who taught me everything I know, Dr. Robert Cantu, back in 2007. So you can go to concussionfoundation.org to see all of our work in the research world, um, all of our advocacy programs, as well as very significant patient and family services uh, opportunities. One is we have a helpline. So if you actually are concerned you might have CT and you aren't getting good medical care, reach out to our helpline and we will give you one-on-one referrals and find you somewhere someone who can take care of you and help you. One of the other things we're most proud of is we just put a, a lot of videos online we're calling Operation Brain Health. So part of the discussion that needs to be hand-in-hand hand with saying, hey, CT is a tough disease that we need to research and help people with, is also to say, but CT is not your destiny. Just because you've had TBI doesn't mean you're going to spiral out of control. You're going to you know, live the same life as Junior Seau. Operation Brain Health is meant to draw attention to the fact that you still control your destiny in so many ways. You're in control of your brain health. And here's ways to make sure that despite your TBI, despite your exposure – you can still have the brain you want to have and live the life you want to live.
2: Great. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today on Policy Events.
0: Well, thank you very much, Secretary Shulkin. Lou, it's been a pleasure to speak to you both.
2: I thought that was fascinating. Did he say that 8,000 people have already donated their brains? Yeah. And he's got famous people.
1: He's got, you know, this whole cadre of, uh, of soldiers and, and sailors and airmen and Marines, Coast Guard. You know, he's just got all the military folks that have donated their brains. As a matter of fact, um, you know, if you're interested in donating your brain, uh, you can go to con- concussionfoundation.org right on their website. They have a Get Involved page and you can just fill in the information. You don't even have to speak to anyone.
2: I just think everyone should know that He's not looking for you to give your brain now this would be after you pass on of course right lou i i mean i guess that depends right <laughs> <laughs> well no this is this is actually serious and we do need to advance the research in this area you know one of the things after visiting the brain bank and talking to these researchers uh there are things that can be done to help people who have had this type of head injury? It's really—it's an amazing science. The lab
1: is amazing. I—I I, I had the pleasure of being able to tour it as well, and you know the science is incredible. And then you know they actually show you slices of brain where they're where they're dissecting it and looking at it. And and there are actually some advancements in therapies, aren't there?
2: Yeah, there really are. And you know the VA and the Department of Defense have some really terrific resources, the center of Excellences, the intrepid centers that specialize in head injury. And the VA has extensive research and clinical expertise in this as well. So we're looking at all sorts of new ways of addressing head injury through both rehabilitative therapies, through uh, supplements such as increasing dietary saturated fats, uh, and other types of therapies that may be helpful. So I think we really do want people to take advantage of the expertise that we see in the military health system and the Department of Veteran Affairs, and certainly also in the private sector as well. You know,
1: and one of the most important things he said that came out in this podcast, I, I think bears repeating, and that is don't, don't hold it in. You know, you, you, have to, you have to tell people when you've experienced that type of trauma because there is hope to to reverse some of that damage possibly
2: yeah i think that's absolutely right and i think the culture is changing where uh, people now are much more aware of this and that's always how science and health changes it starts with education well i think i'm going to start early and and load up on my saturated fats okay (laughs) all right talk to you next week
1: Well, that is all the time that we have today with Chris Nowinski. What an exciting interview. And join us next week when we're talking to Joe Cinelli, the Executive Director for American Veterans. This is going to be a Memorial Day uh, podcast. You are not going to want to miss this. Thanks for listening to the Policy Vets podcast. For more information about projects and other podcasts, go to policyvets.org.